So this morning, uh, I want to begin uh, the sermon by telling you about uh, a man named Gary. Uh, Gary has been a serious Christian for many years. Uh, if you were to meet Gary, you most likely would have a very favorable first impression of him. I mean, he's kind, he's personable, easy to talk to, seems like a devoted husband and father, faithful to God, faithful to the church. I mean, he is like many of you, and if the church has, need, has a need, he's one of the first people to, to jump in and meet that need. But what most people in the church don't know about Gary is Gary is an addict, in fact, there's nobody in the church that knows this about Gary. When Gary was in college, he did a lot of partying and drinking, and his party days are over, but the, the drinking, it, it wasn't that easy to stop. In fact, it never stopped. And over the years, as he got married, had kids, excelled in his career, joined a church, Gary became a professional at living two lives. He doesn't want to lead two lives, but he's stuck. He doesn't want this demon of his addiction to continue to haunt him, but he's given up hope that it will ever go away. He wants to change. He's been attending AA meetings for years. He has long periods of sobriety and then disappointing relapses. He loves his family and he does everything he can to make sure this addiction does not affect them. And so... He's figured out that it's just easier. It's easier for everyone, for him, for his family, for his church, if he just keeps it a secret and he just tries to manage it. Lives two lives. And so he closes himself off from his family, from his church family, even from God, to keep this buried. I mean, let's be honest. What is the church going to do if he begins to tell people about it? It's just easier to keep it buried. It's easier to wear a mask. But one day, Gary wanted to talk to his pastor because his pastor said something in a sermon that just, it, it rubbed him the wrong way. See, his pastor was preaching about the freedom that you can have in Jesus Christ. This wasn't unusual for his pastor to preach about. But this time, when Gary heard it, he felt tired, exhausted. He felt tired of hearing about this freedom and never experiencing the freedom. And Gary finally decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go talk to my pastor because he didn't understand why he felt so frustrated with God all of a sudden. And so after talking to his pastor, about 30 minutes into the conversation, he finally took the mask off. He told his pastor about his addiction. He told his pastor about how hard he had worked to ensure no one ever knew about it. He told his pastor how he feared people finding out. And Gary was also really apologetic, apologizing profusely for burdening his pastor with this information. They talked a little bit longer, and this pastor also learned that, well, early in his life, Gary's dad left, and he was raised by a single mom, and he learned at a young age that his problems and his struggles, his feelings are, are too heavy of a weight for his loved ones, and so it's, it's just better for him to put the mask on, not burden everybody else with 
his issues. Gary didn't realize it, but he had been trained from a young age to wear a mask and medicate his feelings for the sake of others. And it wasn't until Gary finally took that mask off with his pastor that he grasped the saving power of the gospel and how it can truly set you free. Aren't we all like Gary in some sense? Some of us have a story just like Gary's. Some of us may have a different story, but we all have learned how to wear a mask. We've all learned how to compartmentalize the grief or the sin or the insecurity in us and, and pretend it's not there because the mask is, is easier. You don't have to risk being rejected with the, the mask on. You don't have to burden others with your problems with the mask on. And in fact, some of us have been wearing the mask for so long and we've gotten so good at doing it, we've forgotten that we're wearing one. Now, full disclosure to you, Gary is not real. I made, that, I made that story up. But I actually didn't make it up. Because Gary represents the dozens and dozens of people that I have met with over the last 12 years of ministry who for an incredibly long time lived their life and went to church with a mask on. I just wouldn't share their stories from the pulpit with you. Until one day they got tired and they took that mask off and they let me as their pastor or someone else that I knew in and they opened their heart to the healing that the gospel can bring. But here's the question we need to ask this morning and it, there's not an easy answer to this question. Is the church, is Grace Hill Church a safe place to take off the mask? Honest question. I think we need an honest answer. We're currently in the midst of a series right now called Your Joy is My Joy. So over the month of August, we're taking some time to talk about what we believe God is calling us to focus on as a church over the next year. We turn two years old in September, and so for our third year of ministry, we just wanna focus on what does God have for us and one of the things that we've called the church to do this month is to pray and ask God to, to give each of us a your joy is my joy attitude. We get this from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, where Paul says that the reason why he serves the churches in the, in the way that he does is because he finds his joy in the joy of the people he's serving. A your joy is my joy attitude is when every one of us takes responsibility and ownership for the joy and the growth and the freedom that we all experience in Christ. And so over the next three weeks, I'm gonna be telling you very practically how we are gonna live that out this year. And so here's, here's the first way, what we're gonna talk about this morning. I believe that God is calling us as a church to be a church where people take the mask off and we go deep into the gospel with one another. Where the gospel isn't this just theoretical, theological idea that we celebrate, but rather the gospel is living water to thirsty souls. It's a balm to the wounds and the shame that we are all so determined to make sure no one ever sees. And so what I'll show you, I wanna show you what I mean by this from John chapter four. 
So if you have your Bible, we'll, we'll read from John chapter 4. I'm going to start in uh, verse 5. And here in this scripture, we're going to read about an encounter that Jesus has with a woman, and he's going to dig deep into her soul. So read this with me. I'm going to read verses 5 to 15 to begin. John chapter 4, verse 5 to 15. Here's what the scripture says. It says, So he, Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty Again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or I have to come here to draw water. Now let's just stop for a second and get our bearings of what's going on here. Jesus is traveling from Jerusalem, or I should think kind of on the southern port of Israel, up to Galilee, or I should think the northern part of Israel. Between those two regions is the area of Samaria. Now, we just read here in verse 9 that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They don't interact with one another. And so here's why. Back during the times of the kings, the king of Assyria brought in a bunch of foreigners to settle in that region of Samaria, And over time, Jews intermarried with these Gentiles, and that goes against Jewish law to intermarry with Gentiles. And so this region of Samaria that sits between Galilee and Jerusalem became a place that conservative Jews avoided because it was populated with ethnically mixed people. And the Samaritans, they developed their own version of the scriptures. They had their own temple on Mount Gerizim, not in Jerusalem, and and their own version of Israelite history. And so Jesus needs to travel from Jerusalem in the south up to Galilee. Now, most devout Jews who would take that journey would go east across the Jordan River and go the long way around so they didn't have to go through Samaria, but not Jesus, because he's got some gospel work to do. And he wants to take the quick way, straight on up. And he's willing to go and minister to the Samaritans. And so Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman at the well. And of course, the woman is skeptical as to why Jesus, this Jewish man, would be talking to her, much less asking her for a drink. I mean, this is a Jewish man that is willing to drink Samaritan water. Something weird's going on. 
And on top of her skepticism, Jesus begins talking to her about the gospel, but he is talking to her about the gospel in this veiled language using the analogy of water. And Jesus is saying that as the Messiah, he has the ability to bring salvation and joy to her thirsty soul. But this woman isn't picking up what Jesus is laying down. She just assumes he's still talking about literal water. Right, look what she says in verse 15. She says, the the woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. That'd be great if I never had to come here again and draw water. She thinks he's talking about physical thirst, not soul thirst. And I think where we are in this story so far might be a good example of the kind of way that we talk about the gospel in the church today. It's easy to talk about the gospel in a way that's dressed up in spiritual and creative language. It's easy to use metaphors when we're talking about the gospel so it sounds profound, but like the woman, do we really grasp the kind of divine power the gospel has to transform our lives and quench the thirst of our souls? I think of Gary represents all kinds of people who have attended church their entire life, people who can explain the gospel, people who know the Bible, but people who never truly have have grasped the gospel. They haven't grasped that it isn't just this truth that we claim, but it's a cure to the fear and the hurt and the pain and the shame and the sin and grief and all of that that's tucked away in the deep places of our heart. And so when Jesus was talking about living water that would eliminate your thirst, he was talking about those deep places of our heart where we don't want anyone to go. We don't want to go there. We don't want anyone else to go there. So we put the mask on. This is what Jesus is talking about. Look back to the text. Let's read verse 16 to 30, the rest of the story. Jesus said to her, this is verse 16, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. That's the difference between Samaritans and the Jews. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, a Samaritan woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out to the town 
and we're coming to him. So after Jesus' initial interaction with this woman about the, the water, he, he then plunges the depths. And, and he does it in, in one question or statement, really. Hey, go, go get your husband. And see how the woman responds. She responds with the mask. I have no husband. But this woman doesn't realize that she's talking to the son of God who's all-knowing, right? And so, of course, Jesus says in verse 17 and 18, you know, you're right in saying that I have no husband. You have had five husbands. In fact, the one you're living with now is not your husband at all. What you have said is true. Jesus knows this. So what does Jesus do here? He removes the mask. He exposes it. Here it is. I know. You know. Let's go there. Her soul is now exposed. The true thirst in her life is now front and center. Now, we need to be clear about something here. The text does not tell us the circumstances behind this woman having so many husbands. Is it possible that this is a pattern of sin in her life and this means that she has been unfaithful? That she's looking to men to be what cures the thirst in her life and it's not working? It's possible that this is sin. Is it possible that five men have left her? That five men have divorced her? That five men have died? And she's a a widow? This is a patriarchal society. It's really dangerous to be a single woman. It's very common for men to be abusive and leave. Was this woman's circumstances not so much sin, but survival and tragedy? It's possible. See, what's beautiful about the ambiguity of the exact circumstances here is that for Jesus in that moment, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if this was sin. It didn't matter if this was hurt and trauma and pain and abandonment. The mask was off, the heart was exposed, and whether she was trying to mask sin or hurt, the gospel is what she needed, right here. And that's exactly what Jesus delivers to her, is the gospel. And and, and I believe that one way a church family cares for one another is we go deep in the gospel with one another. We become a place where we can take the mask off, we can let the gospel bring healing and wholeness to our lives. But the biggest threat to being a church that can do this, it, it's the mask. Jesus had an advantage. He's God, he's all-knowing. He can see straight through the mask. We don't have that advantage. Maybe the more we get to know each other, we can see through the mask, but the reality is we can't see through the mask. We have to take the mask off and let each other in. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pull from the rest of this story, study the rest of this text together, and and through that, I wanna show us three reasons why we, we need to take the mask off. So we'll start with the first one. Here's number one. The first reason that we need to make, take the mask off is because the mask makes us unknown. I think that point is, is fairly obvious, but I want us to understand the consequences of this. Prior to Jesus removing this woman's mask, their, their conversation stayed on the surface. It couldn't go to a certain level of depth. There was a limit to where it could go when they were talking about the gospel. This woman wasn't able to get past in this analogy thinking of water just as this physical thing. 
And, and if Jesus had not revealed that he already knew the depths of her heart, they would have stayed at that level. She probably would have kept that mask on, concealing what was really going on inside of her. And we do this with one another in the church all the time. We are so concerned about maybe protecting an image or we're so ashamed by stuff in our past or we just don't wanna bother and burden others with our problems. So we conclude it's just easier to remain unknown and wear the mask. The problem with that is you're unknown. You'll feel unknown. You won't think anyone cares really about you. You'll have to pretend you're okay when you're not okay. You'll have to pretend that you have deep relationships with people when you don't have deep relationships with people. You'll hear the word of God preached. It will pierce your soul in a way that you're dying to process, but you'll have to pretend that the word didn't pierce your soul to keep the mask on. So you'll be like Gary, living two lives, proclaiming the gospel, but not really believing the gospel is for you. So that leads to our second reason why we have to take the mask off. Reason number two is because the mask makes us underestimate the gospel. Let's look back at what Jesus said to this woman. I wanna read for us again, verses 19 to 26. says this, the woman said to him, sir, I, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Lost my place, I'm sorry. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so, as Jesus reveals to this woman that he is the Messiah, this is what he tells her he's going to do. Jesus says that he is going to do something that will transform the way we worship God. Before you worship God by going to a specific place. For the Jews, that was the temple in Jerusalem. For the Samaritans, that was the temple on Mount Gerizim. Before you worshiped by going to a specific place. Place. And the reason you had to travel to a specific place to worship God is because that's where God was. His presence was curtained off in the most holy place. And so to worship God, you needed to travel there. And to be worthy to worship God, you had to have sacrifices to atone for your sins because you were not worthy to worship God. Jesus says he's going to change that. Verse 23, Jesus says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So, so what does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth versus worshiping God at a specific location? Uh, I want 
the writer of Hebrews to explain this to us. So I'm going to read just a few selections, kind of hop around in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, around verses 11 and 18. So look at what the writer of Hebrews, how he explains this to us. He says this, under the old covenant, the old way, at the temple, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, this is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who were being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. All right, so what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? What it means is that what makes us worthy to worship God is not traveling to a certain place and doing the religious dance. What makes us worthy is the truth that the Holy Spirit testifies about us that we have been covered once and for all by the blood of Jesus and by Christ's sacrifice, we have been made perfect. So worship the old way I have to make myself worthy for God. It makes sense to put a mask on. In fact, under the old way, I could only get so close to God. I had to be curtained off even from his presence in that most holy place, even with all the sacrifices. And if I got too close, I would get killed. But worship the new way, how Jesus has changed it, Jesus makes me worthy. Jesus rips that curtain in two that separates me from God. He gives me his spirit so I can worship him at any time, in any place. I don't have to travel anywhere. I have access to God. In fact, it is Jesus who says to us that we can now go before the throne of God, his direct presence with boldness and confidence because we have been made worthy. No mask is required. See, the gospel penetrates down to the deepest and darkest places of our hearts, and we can worship in spirit and in truth. But when we still keep the mask on, we underestimate the gospel. We don't agree with the truth that the spirit declares about us. We think we're an exception, that what's deep down in my heart is the exception. And that Jesus, once and for all, sacrifice didn't do it for me. Jesus was telling this woman, even in the midst of your shame and your hurt, this is for you. And one of the ways that we become a church that is a safe place for us to take the mask off is we have to be a church that believes this for one another. We've got to believe this for one another. Because when you're in the midst of it, when you're in the anguish of the deep places of your heart, it's hard to believe this. 
So we care for one another by believing this for one another. We have to be a church that believes that there's nothing the gospel can't redeem. Wives, you have to believe this for your husband. When your husband sins against you and he hurts you, you have to believe the gospel can redeem him. When your husband takes his mask off with you, because he didn't do it before you all got married, you have to believe this for him. Husbands, you gotta believe this for your wives, that the gospel penetrates all the way down, even the hardest places, and can bring redemption. She takes off her mask. Men, we gotta believe this for one another and draw each other in. Same with the women. We should not be surprised by sin and brokenness. It is all over the church. It's everywhere. It's all over this room. That's okay because we have a savior who is stronger. And when people take the mask off, we need to celebrate and point them to their savior, not wince and get all awkward. We know what to do with this. It's redemption. We're a church. We're in the business of redemption, not in the business of who's the best, you know, Christian competition. We do redemption here. We do the restoration of brokenness here. We speak the gospel into the deepest parts. The church, if we're honest, should be the place that's the easiest to take the mask off, not the hardest. But why is it that way? And here's the reality. It's when we take the mask off and we allow the gospel to shine the light in the dark places, that's when we've got a testimony for them to hear. That's reason number three, we need to take the mask off. The mask limits our testimony. Look at verses 28 and 30. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town, said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the cry? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. It's fascinating to me that the very thing this woman wanted to conceal with Jesus now is like the main part of her testimony that she's declaring to everybody. The mask is off. She has encountered the grace of God. She doesn't have to have a mask anymore with anybody, even people who don't know Jesus. It's difficult to share a testimony with people of how Christ has changed your life if you still have the mask on and there are parts of your life you won't let them touch. See, when we share the gospel with people, People can tell if you really believe or if you've really been changed by this message. The truth is, it's hard to take off the mask. This isn't easy. But when you do, when you trust God with the most sensitive place of your heart, the transformative grace of God upon you will change your testimony. And people will see that this message that you are sharing to you, it's living water that never makes you thirst again. So let's return to the question I asked all the way in the beginning. Is Grace Hill Church a safe place to take off the mask? Do we have a your joy is my joy attitude and are we prepared to minister the living water of the gospel to people when they take the mask off because this is so critical to our discipleship and it's so critical to our mission to love our neighbors. 
If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you have been called to minister to people in this way in the local church. You have not been called to be a part of a church just for your own benefit. You have been called to be a part of a local church because others need you to believe the power of the gospel for them when they take the mask off. Christianity can never be done alone. So at Grace Hill, we want this to be a focus for us this year. And so therefore, starting uh, the week of September 9th, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be relaunching our, our community groups after our summer break, but we're gonna have a few changes to them. The first change is we're gonna have our groups to start meet weekly and not every other week. We had our groups meeting every other week and we've really seen that we felt like that rhythm was working against us being able to do this well in our church. So they will start meeting weekly. The second change is we're gonna focus the group's time together this year on building relationships. This is so our groups will create a context where people feel they can take the mask off and we can truly care for one another in this way. And so for, for those of you who are unfamiliar with community groups at all, uh, these are smaller groups of people who meet in someone's home every week uh, for the purpose of encouraging one another, getting in the word, praying together, and doing this. And so we're gonna be starting community group signups in, in just a few weeks. And so I just think it's important that all of us prioritize being in a group starting in September because we need to get into smaller size groups of people so we can live this out. So be looking for that. But as great as community groups are, becoming a church where we can take the mask off and go deep in the gospel also means that we need to be a church that provides intense discipleship. So this is why I'm really excited about this. We've been working on this for a long time. In January, uh, we will begin offering a comprehensive discipleship program that we're calling Journey to Joy. And we've been developing this program for about a year. Uh, we're currently training leaders for it through the summer. We're gonna continue to train leaders for it through the fall and then we will be launching this in January. But Journey to Joy is a discipleship program designed to teach you not only the depths of the gospel, but also to apply it to the deepest parts of your soul and your past. It's a nine-week experience comprised of large group teaching, small group discussion, one-on-one -on -one discipleship, and meditations at home. And so our desire is that everyone who calls Grace Hill their church home would eventually go through Journey to Joy. And for two reasons. This is why we want everyone to be able to do this when it's best for them. The first reason is that they would have a place where they can truly take the mask off and be ministered to in a robust way. We just wanna create an environment where you can do this. And the second reason is that everyone who goes through Journey to Joy will be trained in how to minister to others when they take the mask off. Because our desire as a church is to be a place where it is natural and a part of our culture to take the mask off and have the gospel ministered to your soul. I don't wanna be that church that when someone takes the mask off, we go, ugh, I have no idea what to do with that. I don't want that. I want us to be a church. No, we know exactly what to do. With that, And Journey to Joy is designed to equip and train people to know what to do. To be a church where we believe in the power of the gospel 
for one another. So stay tuned for that. That's gonna be starting up uh, in the spring and we're excited uh, for how that's going to impact our church. But I would like to, I'd like to end our time together this morning by inviting those of you who are followers of Christ, if you're here, I just wanna invite you to the communion table that's before you. Because what the communion table represents is that Jesus has made each of us holy and perfect in the sight of God. Pleasing in the sight of God. That there's, there's no sin, there's no secret, no skeleton in your closet that is stronger than your Savior. And through his body being broken, that the bread symbolizes, and his blood being shed, that the juice symbolizes, We've each been invited into a close relationship with God because we've been made worthy to be in his presence. This meal represents living water that our souls thirst for. It represents what the spirit declares to be the truth about each of us. And so I encourage you to to take a few minutes. What I want us to do is just take a few minutes right now in silence, And I just want us to reflect. Are you wearing a mask? Are there things in the deepest part of your heart that you'd prefer just to stay there? Are you still not convinced it would be better to take the mask Would you ask God for help to see the gospel as powerful enough to forgive, to heal, to make whole, to restore? I just want us to take a few minutes and reflect on that. And and when you're ready, come forward, take the bread, take the juice, and just be reminded of Christ's love for you as you remember the cross. And then we'll close in a few worship songs because in here we have the privilege to worship in spirit and truth. Let me pray for us and then we'll go into a time of reflection. Father, in many ways, what I just exhorted all of us to consider doing, taking the mask off, is is way easier said than done. Many of us have experienced rejection, trauma, and shame for trying to take the mask off. What makes this time any different? And God, that's where I just pray that the power of the gospel would be what defines Grace Hill Church for all of its days. That you would protect our church from any sort of culture of trying to impress one another, any culture of trying to be the most moral person, any culture where we look down upon people who are struggling, God, would this be a place where it is easy to take the mask off? It is easy for the gospel to penetrate the depths of our souls. 
where when we do take the mask off, the people of this church, they don't wince, they don't get awkward, they don't know what to do, but they engage and they celebrate because they have an opportunity to give living water to a thirsty soul. We pray that you would do that in this church, God. But right now, Lord, as we just take some time to reflect, I pray, Lord, you would maybe show us by your spirit where we are wearing the mask and where we underestimate your gospel. And I pray, Lord, as we take communion and we taste the bread and we drink the juice that we would be reminded that there is absolutely nothing that your gospel cannot redeem. Take a few minutes in reflection and you can come forward when you're ready to take communion.